That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Are you feeling sluggish, weighed down, or mindlessly eating and in need of new healthy habits? The groundbreaking five-day Prolon fasting mimicking diet is so much more than a diet. It's a whole new way of approaching nutrition and life through fasting. You know, I love intermittent fasting and fasting protocols, and Prolon is so awesome. Prolon triggers your body's natural rejuvenation process from within. You'll feel lighter, improve your energy and mental clarity, lose weight and belly fat, and reduce your food cravings. And when you do multiple consecutive rounds of Prolon, you'll rejuvenate your cells, which supports healthy aging. It's the only nutrition program in the world that mimics a fast. The tasty, specially designed, gluten-free, plant-based food keeps you in a fasting state. Over 20 years in the making and developed by the prestigious University of Southern California Longevity Institute and the National Institutes of Health, it's redefined what fasting means. You eat, your body fasts. Ready, set, rejuvenate with Prolon. For more info, go to ProlonFast.com and use my code WILLCOLE for 20% off your first order. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert and best-selling author. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, my people? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine practitioner. I get to talk to people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world. So my main day job, over 10 and a half hours a day, I'm consulting people via webcam. And we drop ship labs to them and provide them a functional medicine perspective on their health issues. And I write books about these topics as well. I've written Ketotarian, my first book. Second book is called The Inflammation Spectrum. And my newest book recently came out. It's already a New York Times bestselling book. It's called Intuitive Fasting. It's, as its name implies, a flexible, mindful, or intuitive approach to intermittent fasting and how to use food and intermittent fasting as a mindfulness practice to gain food peace. So all of these books are born out of my clinical experience and my love for my patients. And I love talking about these topics of health and wellness. And that's what the art of being well is all about. These 
longer form conversations about different facets of wellness. And today's guest is no exception. She is one of the funniest people in wellness. She's freaking hilarious. She's so brilliant. And I'm really excited for you all to meet her today. Her name is Rachel Mansfield. She is a recipe developer. She's a food stylist and she's a founder of an amazing blog. She specializes in creating recipes made with simple, real ingredients that are suitable for anyone and everyone, no matter how you eat. Man, you're going to learn a lot in this conversation. If you eat paleo, gluten-free, if you love the gluten, if you're dairy-free or you love the dairy, plant-based, not plant-based, she has something for everyone. And we talk about it in this conversation. She makes the food not just taste delicious with good ingredients, but it looks beautiful, her Instagram page. Uh, and we talk about actually her food photography hacks in today's conversation. Uh, let's talk about it. The, some of the things that we cover in today's conversation, just to give you guys a little bit of a sneak peek, get excited for today's episode. We talk about how Rachel's story evolved into how she got in the food photography space, how she got into the recipe developer space and the wellness space. We talk about Rachel's personal food journey and how she finds balance and fun in what she eats. The different ways to eat peanut butter in a snack, we get into it, my friends. I love peanut butter so freaking much, and so does Rachel. We talk about our favorite peanut butters and why and how to use them in a snack. We talk about Rachel's food photography hacks. Very interesting. We talk about how Rachel maneuvers food variety with her children. And we talk about how Rachel's open journey with infertility. So if you know somebody that's struggling with infertility, if you are, definitely want to hear this conversation. It's truly inspirational and what she did in her current pregnancy. Uh, and we also talk about what Rachel has learned in her life about the art of being well. Let's get to today's conversation with my friend, Rachel Mansfield. Rachel Mansfield, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's such a treat to be on the other side today. Yeah, yes, I've been on your podcast and you're so effortless in all that you do. You have such a light and a sense of humor. And I told you when I was one of your first guests, right? You were, you were one of my, I think, first five guests that I had. Wow, with. that's for, first of all, an honor. But B, when I said, it, I'm like, you're just starting out with this. You're so freaking good at interviewing people. So if you haven't checked out Rachel's podcast, you definitely have to. What's the name of it for people? Thank you. It's called Just the Good Stuff. Just the Good Stuff. Awesome. So let's start back. Where did this amazing career of making delicious food and sharing it with the world, what was the genesis of that? So I've been doing this now full-time for five years. December 4th was my five-year anniversary. I call it my five-year fired anniversary, actually. And I started sharing food on my Instagram account, which was really just my personal Instagram at the time. It was like the Instagram I created in college of like me and my friends and it eventually evolved into what it is today. But I started posting pictures of like oatmeal and overnight oats and all these random food creations because I was working as the earned media manager at a CPG brand in like the organic, like healthy food and beverage space, um, like a beverage you would find in like a Whole Foods. And I loved my job so much, loved the brand, loved the product to help wean me off of like diet soda. It was great. But I felt that I wasn't making enough money for the work that I was doing. And I was told I wasn't going to be able to receive more compensation so I said to my husband, fiance at the time, 
you know, I think I'm going to start selling overnight oats in a jar and like deliver them to people throughout Manhattan. He thought I was crazy because he's like, Rachel, you need a commercial kitchen. There's a lot more involved in that. You can't just make it in our 400 square foot apartment and like ride a bike around the city. So I started off small and started just sharing recipes and different things. And it really took off from there. That was February, 2015. I got married September, 2015. Then by December, I was fired from my job. I was told that my brand would be a conflict of interest with the brand that I was working at. And I was completely blindsided, had no idea I was going to be getting fired. I also didn't have like the confidence and I still don't think to this day I would have ever had the confidence to like leave a full-time job with like that security, that safety net, insurance, whatever, Mm -hmm. to pursue my own thing. So it kind of pushed me to go full throttle and grow my brand. And that was five years ago. And I haven't, I haven't looked back. Wow. Did you have a specific vision in mind of what you wanted the brand to look like? And did you ever imagine that it would be the success it is? No. Well, first of all, thank you. Second, no, I had no idea. Someone actually asked me yesterday. I did one of those, like, ask me anything on Mm -hmm. Instagram stories. Like, where do you see your brand in five years? I have no effing idea. Like if you asked me five years ago, if I'd be doing this, I'd be like, no, like I've never had a business plan. I don't really set goals for myself. Like any, and I don't mean that in like, I don't take this seriously type of way. I more just kind of go with the flow in terms of like what I think my community is going to want. And also like what I genuinely like want to do. When I started my podcast, I was walking to the path train. I live in Hoboken, like across the river from Manhattan walking to the path train and I'm like, I think I'm going to start a podcast. And I get on the path train, I'm like ordering on Amazon microphones and like equipment. Like there was no strategy. There was nothing in mind. Same thing with my cookbook. I was sitting on the couch and I said to Jordan, I think I want to write a cookbook. And like, you know, a few weeks later I was writing a proposal. So everything just kind of been allowing like my intuition. I'm not the most like spiritual person, but like allowing my intuition to kind of like guide me to like what's next. Wow. And you make food look freaking amazing. Like when I comment on Instagram and say, I'll be over for dinner, I I actually mean it. If I was closer to Hoboken. (laughs) So I want to know like, A, do you eat everything that you're making on Instagram? How much of it do you eat? Like what's, do you have rules around that or like guidelines or, or no? No, I mean, with me, there's no like rules with food. I've been there. I've done that. I've like been very restrictive in the past. So when I was in college, I fluctuated a lot with my weight where I like gained freshman, like 25 sophomore year, lost way too much weight. And then when I went to go put weight back on, that was kind of when my relationship with food really started to evolve for the better. And I mean, I was 21 at the time. So it took from like, I would say 21 to like 27 to really have that like comfort and just like not restrictive approach to food, mm-hmm. um, which is like how I'm still living today. I'm 30. So for the last few years, it's been wonderful to like be able to like make cookies and like know that I can eat them. And then I don't have to eat all 12 of them to like satisfy my emotional feelings. But when it comes to food, I mean, obviously I have a son who's two, almost two. I'm married. My brother lives a mile away. My mom and dad live a mile and a half away. I share a lot of stuff because it's human. No one's going to sit there and bake a dozen cookies and eat 
all dozen of them themselves. I mean, like, sure. I mean, I definitely could have in my like stoner days in college, but like, I'm not doing (laughs) it today. So I'm very much like, yes, I have dessert every single night. I'm not sitting there eating cookies all day. Anyone who says that they are, is just lying to you. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, there's no restrictions. And all the recipes that I make though, they happen to be gluten-free. A lot of them are dairy-free. A lot are paleo. Like I love almond flour and coconut flour. I love using like oat flour as a gluten-free flour, but I personally, I'm not even gluten-free. I don't have any out. I'm allergic to like weird things like strawberries and eggplant and like nightshades, but like Mm -hmm. I can eat gluten. It just happens to be that a lot of my recipes, they are gluten-free because that's what my community wants. I was going to say, yeah, they they look delicious, but the ingredients that you use, the wide majority of them are really clean alternatives and healthier alternatives. And it's the way that I eat when I'm have when I'm having treats, I use and recommend the ingredients that you put in your, in your uh, recipes. And I, what I also love about you and your work, and I don't even, we haven't even talked about this, but, and I don't even know if it's really true, but it seems like we have a common love of peanut butter. Is that, do you oh love peanut God. butter? Yes. I love peanut butter <laughs> so much. Peanut butter is my favorite. Me too. In the world. <laughs> I feel like you get me. And I feel like the peanut butter people, like when you look at your feet, you're like, yes, she's speaking my love language. Thank you. It's the sixth love language is peanut butter. I love peanut butter more than anything in this. Like it just, I have peanut butter with banana, peanut butter with apple. I put it on like my like paleo toaster waffles. Like I, Ezra like actually takes it out of the pantry of like a drawer of a nut butter drawer. He takes out the peanut butter uh, jar and he goes, mom, he calls it mama din din, like mommy's like food. Like I just, it's my favorite. And it makes me happy that like you say you love peanut butter because it doesn't get the best reputation. I would say, especially amongst like doctors that say mm-hmm. like peanuts aren't the best for you, like legumes. But for me, it's okay. I mean, obviously if I eat an abundance of anything, it's going to hurt my stomach, but peanut right. butter is like. Yeah. Like and then you could get better quality. That's the thing. Look, I, I could teach about the science of it and uh, the quality of the peanuts. And of course we're talking about yeah, I, in my opinion, I would get the best quality peanut butter out there if it's within your budget. But let's just talk about almond butter. People that say almond butter is the same as peanut butter, they are not peanut butter people. They, they just don't get it. It's grainy. I Listen, I love almond butter too, but like- It's not the it's same. No, it's like saying you want a piece of, you want a piece of pepperoni pizza and then the guy hands you like mushroom pizza. Like that's not the same type of pizza. Yeah. Like yeah, it's all pizza, but peanut butter is just a beautiful yeah. beautiful food group. So what's your if you had to pick, like can we talk about different kinds of peanut butter? What's your favorite <laughs> type to buy. I, I'm so excited we're having this conversation. I love Wild Friends peanut butter. So I like peanut butter that's like drizzly and like doesn't have any additives. I look for the ingredients of like peanuts, sea salt. Yeah, and me too. That's pretty much it. Unless it has things like vanilla or cinnamon, but like no added sugars in it, no like oils. And I love that peanut butter that can like drizzle. And I don't like that peanut butter that makes you like work for it. Like I'm not trying to get an arm workout, trying to like mix my jar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I eat wild friends, peanut butter. I'm actually an investor of theirs as well. So oh, cool. I love their nut butters. And for people who can't have peanut butter, but like still want like a drizzle type of like really smooth nut butter, their almond butter is like almost the same consistency as peanut butter, which is That's awesome. I like cashew butter too. I like almond butter as well. I just, to me, it's like peanut butter is its own thing. And it's like- Peanut very- butter and jelly was around before almond butter and jelly for a reason. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of peanut butter and jelly, I want to tell you about this real fast. 
and you can try it. I mean, Ezra will probably like it. Family will, it'll be a hit. Is this, are the Siete burritos or the tortillas will work? You know, the cassava flour, not the almond flour, the cassava flour Siete, you heat them up over the, the stove. It has to be a, a gas stove. Or you could probably microwave them probably, but make them soft and gooey. Uh, you know, it's nice burrito uh, tortilla. And you put peanut butter in the center of it, jelly in the center of it, and wrap them like a peanut butter jelly burrito. I don't know if you've already done this, but I love it. It's changed my life. No, like I love doing it with banana actually and doing okay. like and peanut butter, but they're so good. I mean, anything that's like warmed up with peanut butter, just, <laughs> exactly. even like banana and peanut butter quesadillas. I love using the Siete tortillas for that. They're spectacular. And I also make banana sushi a lot where I route uh, in a banana, I'll put peanut butter on the edges and I make like a homemade granola. that's like a little bit like low, lower in sugar mm-hmm. and I'll roll the banana in it with the peanut butter. So it's like crunchy peanut butter, banana sushi. So that's awesome. That sounds amazing. So is that your favorite peanut butter recipe that you've done? Like if you had to pick, which which one's the, your favorite? You know, I have a peanut butter granola that I make a lot that I'm coming out with. I think, in, I think it's getting started in January. I'm like prepping for a quote maternity leave. So I'm actually making like March and April recipes right now. I think the peanut butter granola is coming out in January, if I can remember correctly. And I think that's my favorite one to date because it's awesome. so good. And it well, has by the like- time people hear this, it'll be it'll be out. Perfect. We'll sync it together. Peanut butter granola. (laughs) I love that. You guys know about Dr. Google, right? This endless vortex of conflicting information where people are trying to get answers about their health, but they just don't know what the heck is the truth. They hear all this conflicting information. What should you believe? And every day there's a new wellness trend, right? I mean, eat this food, don't eat that food. I mean, what was once healthy is now being vilified. It is very disillusioning as a consumer. So how do you know where to start or who the heck you should trust? Inside Tracker cuts through the noise by analyzing your blood, your DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized science-backed trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler and more convenient than traditional blood tests. The blood tests include biomarkers that are key to performance and optimal health that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin, vitamin D, so many other really important biomarkers that as a functional medicine practitioner, I look at with my patients. My favorite part is they they don't just give you the data. They actually provide you with nutrition, lifestyle tips, action plans for you to take action on your health. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash art of being well. Change is an inside job. Start inside. If you haven't heard about Juneshine, you definitely need to. Juneshine Hard Kombucha is the most insanely delicious, better for you alcohol. It's made with real organic ingredients and unlike other alcoholic beverages, They are transparent about every ingredient they put in their products. It's actually better for you alcohol. It has real functional ingredients. It's low in sugar, it's easy on the gut, it's gluten-free and full of probiotics. Juneshine is the champagne of kombucha, if you will. They use actually green tea and honey as opposed to black tea and sugar for a smoother, less acidic taste. Best of all, It doesn't leave you with that I'm too full after drinking feeling, but it does give you a lighter, brighter buzz. Juneshine is sustainably produced. They just committed to becoming 100% carbon neutral 
freaking amazing. They donate 1% of all sales to environmental nonprofits. Their brewery is powered by 100% renewable solar. They plant trees for all those used to make their six-pack boxes. June Shine is now delivering nationwide to your doorstep. Yes, you can get alcohol delivered to your doorstep. And yes, it's that easy and hassle-free. We worked out an exclusive deal for the Art of Being Well podcast listeners. Receive 20% off plus free shipping site-wide. I love all their flavors. My favorite one is probably the Blood Orange Mint. I like the Midnight Painkiller as well. It has activated charcoal on it in it, which is really cool. And they have so many other flavors. They have acai berry. They have hopical citrus. They have honey, ginger, lemon. Love all of them. And the chili mango, I think, is a new one. I'm really excited to try that out. So again, we've worked out an exclusive deal for the Art of Being Well podcast listeners. Receive 20% off plus free shipping site-wide. I recommend trying one of their best-selling variety packs so you can try all those things out. It's a great way to try all of their delicious flavors. Go to juneshine.com slash willcole or use code willcole at checkout to claim this awesome deal. That's J-U-N-E-S-H-I-N-E dot com slash Will Cole. Juneshine can also be found in over 10,000 stores across the country, including Whole Foods, Safeway, Kroger, and Publix. So let's talk about the pictures themselves. You look at it, it looks so delicious. And I know that it is delicious, but how do you... Like when I take pictures of food, it doesn't look like yours. It's, it's, it does not look as delectable and amazing. And you just want to, to be with that food and eat it right away. How, what's, what are some of the secrets? Thank you. I would say it's all about the lighting. First of all, um, when it comes to food photography, I'm definitely the most minimal person possible. I don't use a camera. I use my iPhone. I don't even know how to turn a camera on. I don't own one. <laughs> I'm very basic. Um, I, yeah. For me, it's like all like natural light. So the days like today, there's not a cloud in the sky here. And it would be a horrible day to photograph food because it's too bright. And the light shining onto the marble turns the marble like blue, almost which turns the food kind of bluish. It like doesn't like look as beautiful. The best lighting, honestly, is when it's snowing. That like white, bright light that shines in. And I shoot all my food next to a window. I don't have very good natural light in my apartment. It kind of stinks. But if you have a window, you'll find natural light. It's just, you kind of have to adjust with the time. So I know my best photos are between 11 and two, and then it kind of goes downhill, but I've used the same marble slab for six years now, which is crazy. And natural light iPhone. I have very also minimal props too. Like I have bowls and like matte black spoons that I love and trays, but I always want people to like, look at the food and know that it's like approachable to make and that like you can make it at home. Like I love food photography. Like I appreciate other people's food styling, especially. And I saw what it took for my team to do my cookbook when it comes to food styling. But for like my blog and stuff, I like everything that's very kind of like low key in a way where someone points at like, oh, I can definitely make that. Like it's literally cookies on parchment paper. It's not like so foofy and like there's not a lot of stuff going on. Cool. So you don't have a test kitchen. You don't have like tons of props. Doesn't take that. 
No, require that. So low key. Like at the end of the year, when I talk to like my accountant and we go through like the expenses, she's like, what do you do? Like, like what? And I'm like, no, I'm very, like I use my kitchen. I live in an apartment. My son's usually at my knee the entire time when I'm like trying to make something. And it's very, I don't know, just, I always joke that if I can do it, anyone can do it. Cause I have no culinary experience. I didn't go like, I'm not a chef. I'm not a baker. I didn't go to school. I'm not a nutritionist. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. If I can do it, anyone can do it. And like, that's, I think what also resonates really well with my readers is that they know that if it's coming from Rachel's kitchen. I can likely make it in my kitchen too. Yeah, it, it definitely. You, it, what you put out is a very approachable. It's also your who you are too. You're very unguarded. You're very just like, hey, you could be, you could tell you're an authentic person. It, that shows very clearly. So there's no apps beyond that. You're not like doing any special apps to make make it look extra pretty. <laughs> I use Snapseed to edit all my photos. I think that Snapseed is the best iPhone app in the world. I don't use Lightroom. Um, like I don't do any any editing on my computer because again, every photo is done on my phone. So I take it using the iPhone camera. Um, I used to use the VSCO or whatever app a lot, mm-hmm. but then they like make too many updates. I can't keep up with the updates. They were like messing with my like rhythm. So now I just use the iPhone and then I edit everything in Snapseed and from there upload it to my blog and Instagram. But no, it's super minimal. And I also like in Snapseed, you can like apply last edit. So I, when I mark like favorites for say, you know, 10 out of the 300 pictures I take of one recipe, I can just like apply it to each one mm-hmm. as long as the lighting is consistent, the coloring of the food's the same. So it's actually super easy to edit them. Very cool. So let's talk about parenting. Uh, I have a 14-year-old and 11-year-old. You have a, we were talking about this before we started recording, a 23-month-old at the time of recording. He's almost at the point when you don't say months. I'm and so I- excited because I don't have to, I don't call Ezra a 23-month-year-old like I did someone <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. I remember those days. And you have a baby on the way. So how do you, you mentioned your own relationship with food and how do you handle that with a 20 month year old? What with little sweet Ezra, what do you, what, what's the talk about food there? I mean, there's lots of good food in the house. Yeah. How do you handle that? Ezra loves food. There is no one in this world, I think, that likes food more than my son. He's obsessed. He would eat all day. He's the second I gave him food, there was no turning back. I gave him avocado was his first food at like five months. And I nursed Ezra for like the first year he was he was born and or that he was alive and or oh my god, literally pregnancy brain is real. Like I don't even know what I'm saying half the time. I nursed <laughs> Ezra until he was one. I'll leave it at that. And when I was transitioning off of breast milk, I said to my doctor, okay, do I have to give him like milk or form? Like, what do I do after one year? She's like, Rachel, this kid loves food. Like you're so fine with like the nutrient um, nutrients and stuff that he's getting. And he's the type of kid, like I'll hand him a whole cucumber and he'll walk around and like love the cucumber. But then like, I also like, he loves peanut butter too. Like I'll, he'll have like a peanut butter cup or whatever it is. When it comes to feeding Ezra, the approach that I've had with him is that whatever I'm eating or Jordan's eating, Ezra eats it too. So like when we go out for dinner, I've never looked at a kid's menu. I have nothing against them. It's just, you know, I prefer to give Ezra, like I'll order him the overpriced salmon entree rather than like chicken fingers and fries. He eats like whatever we're eating. I never have like Ezra food and then like us, our own food. Everything's just like very communal in that sense, Mm -hmm. which I think has been important. I think that's something that like, 
a lot of families, you know, 10 plus years ago, didn't really implement those types of practices within eating. It was kid food. Like, no, like if I'm making, I made a homemade vegan bolognese sauce last week with like mushrooms and walnuts and like I put chickpeas and it was delicious. I'm like, I don't know. I'll give it to Ezra. See if he likes it. If he doesn't like it, I don't make him eat it. He devoured it. Like he was eating shiitake mushrooms with chickpeas, a sauce, but it was just so random and he, Mm -hmm. and he enjoyed it. So whatever we're eating, he eats. And that's just been something that we've been doing since the day he started eating food. That's really great. So you were pregnant at the time of recording. What do you, with a 20 month, 23 month old right now with Ezra, what do you know now with your second pregnancy that you wish you knew then? Oh, I love this question. I wish I, I feel so much more prepared this time. I'm not physically prepared. Like I have no baby stuff in my apartment. It's all in storage right now, but I feel so much more like mentally prepared for what's coming. And like, I know that I'm not going to sleep. I know breastfeeding is going to suck for the first four weeks. Like I know what it's going to be like. And with Ezra, I was working out five days a week. I barely work out with his pregnancy. Well, also because of COVID, like, you know, can't really go to a class or anything, but Mm -hmm. I just, I'm a lot more calmer in a lot of ways and not, I'm not, I don't mean calm in like an anxious way. I mean, like physically calm, like any moment I have that I could sit down and just be, and like, whether that's sitting down with my laptop on the couch, as opposed to my desk, I take advantage of that because I know that soon I'm not going to have the luxury of just like sitting and working and doing things. I'm going to be pulled in a few more directions. Um, and I didn't realize the drastic change in your day-to-day life once you have a child. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, you have two kids and you know a hell of a lot more than I do with an 11 and 14 year old. I can't even imagine. Well, like nothing's ever the same after that first child comes. So I just yeah. feel like the band-aid's been ripped off and I've heard the second the adjustment from one to two is crazier. So I'm really trying to just be as like relaxed and almost selfish as possible as I can be while being an amazing mom to Ezra as as much as I try to be for the next few weeks. So like taking a bath for an hour or like, even if it's with Ezra, just like sitting there and resting. It's great. Do you feel differently with this pregnancy? I mean, was one harder than the other? I think this pregnancy. So I, with Ezra, I was one of those really annoying people who was pregnant and never felt pregnant. So I never had morning sickness. I, my appetite was exactly the same. I wasn't significantly hungrier. I didn't have weird cravings. My aversion was siete chips. It was the randomest thing in the world. And like Brussels sprouts and like that obviously all ended after the pregnancy. But with this pregnancy, every, like in the beginning, I was never threw up, but I was very nauseous all day, very like lethargic, no energy. And then after third trimester, I mean, after first trimester, I felt like myself again. Mm -hmm. Um, but everything's just been escalated in a way. Like it's the same symptoms I had with Ezra. Like I have really bad, like varicose veins on like my like private area. Mm -hmm. And that's really bad this time around. And like my swollen ankles, everything just started earlier. My bump came at 11 weeks. Instead, I didn't pop with Ezra until 23 weeks. So this, I've been having a bump since 11 weeks of this pregnancy, but everything else has been pretty consistent. I actually was borderline diabetic with Ezra and I have gestational diabetes like full on with this pregnancy. So I track my blood sugar like four times a day. I'm going to like the hospital for like monitoring of like the placenta. So everything's just kind of more intense, I would say, than yeah. Ezra's pregnancy. Right. It's it's probably a little different being pregnant during COVID too. 
or is it yeah, not different? Actually, I was talking to a friend about that this morning that I'm so grateful that my first pregnancy wasn't during COVID because it wouldn't, it just, I feel so lost when I go to the doctor. Like I, you know, they're rushing you, like you barely see the doctor, like they want you in and then they want you out for a good reason. Like they don't want right. you in like being pregnant, but it's so different. Like Jordan can't come to anything. You're in there by yourself. Like last time they wanted to like, give me like the Tdap shop. And then I do this. It's like, if it was my first pregnancy, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like I need to do research. And now this time I just like have such a better idea, even with like the glucose test. Like when I knew that it was going to be time, I'm like, I'm not taking it. Like I knew how to decline that. Like I knew what I wanted to do. I just feel so much more like informed this time. And mm-hmm. during it, it's just been so wild going to the doctor. Cause you just, mm-hmm. it's not the same experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. And another thing we have in common are really awesome old Testament baby names. My son, Solomon, daughter, Shiloh and Ezra. Do, are you going to, I mean, do you have a name picked out? Are you I have, we actually just decided on a name. My book agent picked the name. Of what? <laughs> yeah, we had it's a name. It's to that point, Rachel. Your, your agent's picking your baby name. Oh my God. I know. Well, it was funny because I spoke, I was on the phone with her a couple of weeks ago and she's like, do you have a baby name? And I'm like, no, we had one that we loved, but then it became like very trending. It was like trending right now. It's too popular. It's like very high up on the top baby name list. My son's nanny says, all the boys in the park have the name now. I'm like, it's not happening. <laughs> and then my other name that I like, my sister-in-law, she named the middle name of her son that name. So I'm like, can't use that. And we finally decided on a name thanks to my agent, Sarah. She texted me after we got off the phone. She's like, what about this name? I'm like, no. And then she's like, what about this name? I was sitting next to Jordan. You're in CVS. I'm like, what about this one? I like this one. He's like, oh, that's one of my favorite names. I'm over seven months pregnant. That's your favorite name. You haven't mentioned it in the seven months that we've been talking about. (laughs) So we have a name. I don't think it's as like, like, um, what was the term that you use? Like old Old Testament. Like, yeah. Yeah. Biblical. It's a biblical name. Yeah. Um, But I think Ezra is more so. I think, I don't know. You have to let me know what you think. It's not Noah. Everyone thinks I'm naming. (laughs) But you're not going to, you're not announcing it now, right? I mean, you wait till the baby's born. No, I don't know. I'm like. I am Jewish. Like I'm superstitious in like, I won't tell many people the name, yeah. but like the doctor actually asked me for it yesterday too. I was like, I haven't said it out loud. Like if someone yeah. gets it, I'll tell them, but I like verbally. Yeah. Like, I, I did the same, the same thing that it, with, went with both babies. I, it must be that uh, <laughs> we're raised a certain way or it's the yeah. thought of it. It's special. It's special. I think it's a, a special moment when the baby's born to do that. My mom is already like annoyed that I bought like a pacifier clip for the baby. I'm like, mom, I need to buy things. Like I can't be like so crazy superstitious. I never had a shower. I never wanted a baby shower. I'm like, just let me do my own thing. Mm-hmm. It still feels like surreal that he's coming in less than 11 weeks. So, so you know, it's a boy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm a professional sausage carrier. He's <laughs> a boy. <laughs> and he's wild. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. 
We love the cleaning products at our Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. We use the surface cleaner, the bathroom cleaner, the glass cleaner, super clean, super effective. The aesthetic is super clean. And so are the ingredients. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives still common on drug and grocery store shelves. They are committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is really important. Small changes in the way we shop can make a big impact on personal health and the world at large. They actually use a membership model, which I really love, to keep the cost super low for us and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. They plant one tree for every order placed and incorporate sustainability into every part of the company. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. We worked out an awesome deal just for the Art of Being Well listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose, guys. Just go to publicgoods.com slash willcole or use code willcole at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash Will Cole to receive $15 off your first order. So you also have been very candid and open uh, with your journey with infertility. What made you decide, I'm going to share this, not everybody shares it. Yeah, let's start there. I think that's honestly why I wanted to share because when I, we, so I've been with Jordan for 11 years now, since I was 19 and we got married. I was like 25 around like, I think I want to say like late 26, early 27. I remember walking to Whole Foods with him and looking at him being like, I'm ready to start a family. Mm-hmm. And he was like, like we were both in agreement on that. And I had transitioned off of birth control. I had never gotten my period after that. I went on birth control when I was in college, when I had lost too much weight. Um, my gynecologist had recommended I go on it for like hormones. I wish I had the knowledge I had now back then to like, you know, know that there were other options at the time than do that, but so be it. And I went off of the pill, didn't get a period. I was very naive about it. I kind of just thought like, whatever, it's okay. Like we can get pregnant without Rachel having a period. Wasn't the case. Some people can, but it just didn't happen for us. So we tried naturally for a year. Um, I did acupuncture, I tried like all different like herbs and things. Like I just, nothing was giving my body that push to be able to ovulate on its own. And I started seeing a fertility doctor. I interviewed a bunch of different ones until I found one that I love. And we went to Columbia Fertility Center in Manhattan. So anyone who's local, I love them so much. We went there for this pregnancy as well. And he sat like, what I loved about this doctor is that he sat there with us And he like spent an hour just getting to know like my health, like everything about us. Like he didn't treat us like a cookie cutter patient, which is how every other doctor was treating us, which Mm -hmm. I was so appreciative about. And, you know, I have unexplained infertility, which is basically just a term or a label of, we don't know why you're not getting pregnant because all my blood work, everything looked fine. Like everything, I have eggs, like everything looked okay. And when I was started like talking about this with friends, like, 
other people started like telling me their stories. I'm like, well, why isn't anyone talking about this like publicly? Like this isn't something to be shamed. Like there's so many women and families Mm -hmm. that are going through infertility and you don't, you don't know until you're about to have a baby. You know, I remember being in health class in middle school and like, no one prepared you for this. Like they basically acted like if you like looked at a penis, you'd get pregnant. (laughs) Mind you, I'm like trying to get pregnant and I'm like, nothing's happening. So we tried like Clomid, we tried Letrozole, tried a few different IUIs that did not work. And then I tried Metapure, which are like injectables. Um, you basically inject FSH and LH into like your lower, like um, about like one, two fingertips below your belly button. And then it helps stimulate the follicles to grow large enough follicles where then you can trigger ovulation. And we did that. And then we got pregnant doing that with IUI with Ezra. And that ended up being like our fourth try, but first try with Metapure with injections and got pregnant with him. And then after I stopped nursing Ezra, my doctor had, I was like, when, how do I know if I have to see you again? Like, I love you, but like, do I have to come back here? Like, how do I know? Mm -hmm. He said to give it three to four months post nursing, see what happens and go from there. I actually did get a period in between that time. And I don't know if it was just like my lack of patience or like what, but I'm like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't want to just wait and see what happens. Like, I want to have another baby. Like, I know that like, I trust this doctor. I know what he's like. He like knows my body. And we were able to conceive the same exact way that we did with Ezra with this baby on the first try, which knock on wood, we're so grateful for. And their due dates are 10 days apart. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. So it was all very like, Synced. I mean, Ezra was born at 36 weeks, so he was born pretty early, but um, their actual due dates are only 10 days apart. So they'll be about two years apart, which is cool. It's really special. Big brother. Yeah. Does he know what's going to happen? And does Ezra know, hey, baby brother's no, coming? I don't think he really knows what's happening, but I'm like, Ezra, where's the baby? And he like points to my belly and I'm like, Ezra, the baby's thirsty. And he like sticks the straw into my belly button. <laughs> <laughs> it's disappearing by the day, but he like sticks the straw into my belly button. Um, and he'll be like, mama, baby. And I'm like, yeah, mommy has a baby in her belly. So he knows. And some of his friends have like little baby siblings. So he like knows what a baby is and like what babies look like. But I don't think he knows that he's going to lose a lot of attention. very soon. Yes, he will. <laughs> Yeah. So yes, I'm curious how like he'll react to like when I'm nursing again, because I don't think Ezra remembers nursing. He was a year old. I didn't mm-hmm. nurse him that long long enough for him to like really be impacted by that mm-hmm. but i think it's just going to be the attention that's going to be an adjustment for him yeah uh, yeah so is there anything you're going to do different the first like 23 months with this the second baby that you did with uh with Ezra there hasn't been many things that i'm like damn i wish we did this differently like we're pretty relaxed parents for the most part Um, like his bedtime, like he goes to sleep around eight o'clock, but like, if we're like out to dinner, if it's a holiday, like we don't mind putting him to sleep, like late, like there's just, we're not that strict. They were kind of go with the flow, but random little things. Like I want, I want to wear this baby in a baby carrier. Cause I never did that with Ezra. So when I wanted to like wear him like the Solaby baby wrap or anything Mm -hmm. I had, he hated it because he wasn't used to it. And I I'm hoping to be less calculated about nursing. I was very scheduled, like every three hours on the, to the minute, like had to nurse. Mm-hmm. I don't, I want to let this baby kind of guide that process if I can. Um, obviously like Ezra had failure to thrive. So I like, that's like the worst term, by the way, for like, yeah, it is. I'm like, oh, so I'm, 
like failing as a mother. Thank you. Uh, um, we need to think of a new name for that. Yeah. I'm like, just say he's not growing fast enough. Like, you know, yeah. like, just tell me what it is. Don't, don't be so mean about it. <laughs> um, so unless God for something like that happens again, obviously I'll have to be a little bit more scheduled, but Ezra also didn't sleep at all for four months. So I'm hoping that from me being more relaxed and like not really working out this pregnancy that he'll, uh, be a little bit calmer of a baby, but no, nothing, nothing too different. After you finished nursing, did you do baby food or was he eating old enough to eat food at that point? Did you make your own baby food? I know there's so many things out there to, to try. Yeah, he did breast milk and just food from five months until 12 months. And then by the time I was fully weaned, it took me like over two months to wean. It took a while um, to like really be done with it. But no, he's never had baby food. Like I've never been in the baby food aisle besides when I had discovered the Serenity Kids pouches. Which yeah, I think those are good. The coolest thing ever. I mean, I can't get Ezra to just like pound a thing of spinach and beets like on its own. So like I'll give him like, you know, there's a pouch that has like beets and spinach. Like I just love the ingredients of those. So I give him those. But that's the only quote, I guess you could say like kid focused food that he's ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, no baby food. I remember pure, I pureed peas once and I looked at Jordan. I'm like, I'm never effing doing that again. That was disgusting. Every, like it was smelled so bad. I was like, I hate peas. I don't want to eat peas in like a mashed up form. Why do I think he's going to? So mm-hmm. I always like, even with sweet potatoes, like sweet potato fries, sweet potato wedges, like chicken, like he would just eat things. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do quote baby led weaning, but there was a lot of practices from baby led weaning. I would say that kind of overlapped with with the approach that we did. I just, I don't like getting so caught up in like labels, similar to like how I live my own lifestyle with food. I don't like following strict rules. So when mm-hmm. I came to feeding him, I just kind of went with the flow. Yeah, that's really cool. And Serenity Kids, they do have some really cool flavors and options for kids. I wish that they were around when my kids were little because I don't think they were. They have bone broth ones now. So yeah. they have, it's like a turmeric chicken that has bone broth. Like they have bison. And I love bison burgers just myself. And mm-hmm. they have like a bison pouch and they're awesome. I mean, Ezra has that every day with his lunch because it's just so nutritious for him. And it's like avocado oil, organic vegetables, and like, you know, whatever, like grass fed meat or organic chicken or whatever it is. And yeah. what they're doing is just so awesome. Yeah, really cool stuff. That It's interesting that that space is still like what they're doing is so novel. And it's actually kind of surprising that it is so new. Anytime someone asks me, like, what are some of your favorite brands? Any of the brands that I love, they're not reinventing the wheel. Like Mm -hmm. they're just doing this thing, things in the most simple way. Mm -hmm. They're not like infused with a million different things. Like there's no frills to them. Like it's just a very basic product. And that's what we want. And, you know, I live in Hoboken, which is like mom and stroller central. And a lot of moms don't cook here. Like everyone wants takeout. Like no one, no one's making their own baby food. Like people are lazy. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but like, they just want easy things that are ready to grab. And I think that having like, you know, products like Serenity Kids is awesome because the mom doesn't have to think and like they know their kids eating vegetables. Like some kids won't eat vegetables, but they'll eat a pouch, mm-hmm. which is great. So those have been really helpful for us. Really cool. And this is not sponsored by Serenity Kids. We just love this stuff. <laughs> no, I actually did just invest in them though. So yeah, I will post that. But that's after being like a fan of theirs for whatever, almost, I guess, a year and a half since Ezra started eating food. I just... I was obsessed because I spent time like looking at all the stuff. I'm like, I don't want to just give him sugar all day. I want to give him something with like healthy fat and some yeah, protein. Absolutely. That's interesting. You've mentioned the two things that you're passionate about and you believe in, you've invested in. I think that's really interesting. I'm so behind on that. Like what leads you to to do that? And 
yeah, I want to learn about yeah, this. It's kind of like my secret side project. I, you know, when I worked at the CPG brand, I start like that. I was fired from, I started off as the assistant to the CEO and founder of that brand. And that was when they were like in their infancy stage and they really just skyrocketed. They were eventually purchased for a very large sum of money. And I helped a lot with the investor relations there. Mm-hmm. And to my very limited knowledge, obviously I'm not like a finance guru over here, but I really got to see like, you know, it was all like friends and family that were investing in this brand at the time, like no VC, like nothing. And anytime I like love a product, the first brand I invested in was actually Hugh Kitchen. And I wrote a letter to like the CEO and or the, yeah, the CEO and and, um, at the time. And then I was friendly with the founder and I'm like, I want to invest in your brand. Like, this is amazing. I've been coming here. I'm like a groupie. Mm -hmm. Um, The restaurant was open. I've been going there for years and it gives you like a, like a different type of like relationship with the brand. You know, a lot of the things in like the quote influencer marketing space is just so transactional. You know, it's like you're paid this fee and then you talk about them a couple of times and it's over. But I would rather take some of my own dollars, invest in the brand and like help them grow and succeed and and like use my platform for that, which has been so special. So we're like always like looking at other brands to invest in. My husband Jordan like does it with me as well. So it's been fun. It's been it really fun. fun that. Yeah. That is really fun. Can, and can we mourn the loss of Hugh Kitchen? I mean, at the restaurant, oh it's, I mean, the brand is doing amazing and we love the brand. Uh, Hugh Kitchen's amazing, but the actual physical location in New York, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? It's, I'm very upset about it. People were sending me like their condolences when they announced it closed because there was like a spot on the top, the top level of the restaurant, like in the corner. And that was like my office. Like I, cause I, again, like I would commute into the city. Yeah. I wouldn't have anywhere to go to like work between meetings. And so I'd go there and hang. And it's definitely, it didn't come as a huge shock to me just because I know that for them, like they can take those resources and like the money they were investing there and they can invest in other places and produce even more amazing products Mm -hmm. for us. And also just get into the hands of more consumers. Yeah. I think it's for the best, but selfishly, I'm like, I really could go for one of your paleo bagels and like, their bacon, egg, and cheese with like cheese that was made out of zucchini. I'm like, where does that like come from? Like, I need your yeah. zucchini cheese. I know it. And that's so funny because I'm based in Pittsburgh, but I go, went to New York a lot, flew in for work a lot. And that was my office too. I would get an early flight, like 6 a.m., go right in the city, go right to Hugh Kitchen, not to the hotel because I didn't, I just went for the day. And yeah. that would be my, my little corner office. That's so funny. We had the same office space and I didn't even know it. I know it's, it's such a, it was such a special place in the city for sure. I mean, it's crazy. Cause I didn't know, obviously no one knew this was coming, but like if, if someone could have said like, okay, you have one last day in Manhattan, like to do whatever you want, make a count. Like, I just like, wish I knew at the time I would have yeah. wanted every single chocolate chip cookie they sold and put it in my freezer. Um, <laughs> but it's okay. They're hoard, definitely- the, hoard the crack bars or something like that. You know, oh my God, the crack bars, the brownies, everything. I actually had the founders of Hugh on my podcast a few weeks ago and they talked more about like the restaurant closing and stuff. They're, I mean, uh, they're a bit too. That was their first, they yeah. launched chocolate and the restaurant at the same time. So it was like, it was like their baby. Yeah. What was your favorite thing on the menu? Was it? Depends mm, what time of day, but <laughs> I love the focaccia bread. It was like garlic sticks kind of, um, yeah. that were made out of like the almond flour. I love their bacon, egg, and cheese. Like I just have it, the zucchini cheese. I love their salmon cakes. Their rotisserie chicken was so good. The cauliflower mash was so good. Mm -hmm. And all their desserts, like the almond butter truffles. 
everything is just amazing that they would make. They actually catered my cookbook party too. Cause I was like, I'm not serving other food. Like I'm only yeah. having food at this party. That's awesome. It was just the best. All their stuff was so good. Their bagels were like to die for. They were, they were so good. And I liked the, um, towards the end, they came out with the, I don't know if the pizza was always in the menu. I never saw it, but the Buffalo chicken pizza, so freaking good. Um, but anyways, now you still can get Hugh Kitchen thing. I love their chocolate covered almonds and their hunks. They're all, they have to, so many things out that are still there. We still love it. I love their them hunks a lot. Are so good. The cashew ones are my favorite. Actually, when, <laughs> this is a funny story. When they launched their hunks, they weren't like, or when they were just launching their hunks, they like weren't even on their website or anything yet. Like we just had gotten them to try them. Jordan brought them to work at his office and someone wanted to see what they were. So they started Googling like Hugh hunks and it was like a porno site. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, to probably give people a heads up next time before they're Googling you. <laughs> now they're like target marketing is a little bit more like, you know, organized for that. But it always reminds you of the hunks. But the cat- about- the yeah. other Hugh hunks. <laughs> oh, it was so funny, Jordan. Like I would do that at my office computer. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's too good. So before we go, the show is called The Art of Being Well. And I think that you really embody this in many ways. You you have this grace and this lightness of wellness in a non-punitive, non-dogmatic, non-obsessive way, which I'm a, a major fan of. So for people that are out there that are, you know, new to wellness or want to just learn from the best in their space like you, what do you wish you knew you know, 10 years ago that you know now about the art of being well? Well, first of all, thank you so much. And as someone who has admires you, that's such a compliment to me. So thank you. Welcome. I wish I knew that it doesn't have to be taken so seriously. I think that when I, you know, when I was younger, like a teenager going into college, I had this like vision that looking a certain way required me to eat a certain way. And that was really like lack of eating. And I think I always thought that if you want to like have like, you know, the ideal, and I'm saying that in quotes, ideal body of size, because this is again, when like everything was so, everything was magazines, like what you saw on tablets and television. Like I just wish I was growing up now or it was just a little bit more like body equality because uh, I think it would have been a lot different. I always thought that I meant like you sacrifice eating certain things to do that. And and over time, I've learned that you don't have to sacrifice what you're eating to like feel good, like fueling my body with like fat and protein and nutrients, like what is going to make me feel good. I remember looking at a nutrition label and being petrified of something that had fat in it. Now I look at it and I like look to see where it's coming from, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh, great. This will keep me fueled for a lot longer than like picking up like this other bar that's not going to keep me fueled. Mm-hmm. So I think just knowing it doesn't have to be as serious when it comes to food and just not being so restrictive. I wish I knew that at an earlier time, but I'd rather go through that then and then at least be, I have, you know, this better half of my, of my life to, mm-hmm. to live that way. So it's okay. Well said. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I hope you loved that conversation as much as I did. She is truly a light and a wealth of information. If you want to learn more about Rachel Mansfield's work, check out her book. You can check it all out at rachelmansfield.com. That's spelled R-A-C-H-L-M-A-N-S-F-I-E-L-D.com. rachelmansfield.com. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. 
and you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Man, I get so many awesome questions on social media, mainly via Instagram. So reach out to me on Instagram, uh, submit your questions, and I answer at least one of them each episode. And today's question is from Emily A. She says, hi, Dr. Cole. Here's another question for your AMA. When doing a carb up night or day or week, should your fat intake ideally be reduced? Very good question, Emily A. So what she's referring to for people with greater context, she's talking about clean carb cycling, a topic that I talk about um, with my patients and I talk about in my books. I talk about it specifically in Intuitive Fasting, my newest book, and also in Ketotarian, my first book. Um, so it's a tool to support metabolic flexibility. So we are getting a foundation of metabolic flexibility, being able to burn fat for fuel, to improve brain function and energy, to lower inflammation levels, to have support healthy hormone balance and gut health. Lots of really important health stuff that I go into detail about the science and the scientific literature around these topics within the books. And there's loads of free content at drwillcole.com if you want to just geek out on the science there. But when you are doing clean carb cycling, meaning either like every week, if you're increasing your clean carbs a few days a week, or if you're doing it around your menstrual cycle, if you're a menstruating female, or if you're just doing it whenever you want, just periodically, the answer is yes, you would decrease your fat intake to compensate for the increase of clean carbohydrates. And look, when I'm talking about clean carbohydrates, what I mean is carbohydrates that are in alignment with human physiology. <laughs> I mean, I don't have an opinion about if they're clean or dirty. Uh, you can eat whatever the heck you want. Uh, there should be a grace and a lightness and a flexibility and a, what I call in the book food peace. But what I mean by clean, I mean foods that are more in alignment with human physiology. They're, they're not going to be so disruptive to blood sugar balance. They're not, not going to be so disruptive to the gut microbiome or driving inflammation levels up. So that's what I'm referring to when it comes to clean. It's just what agrees with most people's physiology, what makes people feel good and not feel bad. And we want to focus on things that make our body feel good and respecting ourselves enough to want to focus on foods that make us feel good. So this isn't about a list of do's or don'ts or clean and dirty arbitrarily. This is about, no, I love myself enough to do things that make me feel good. And avoiding things that don't make me feel good isn't restrictive, it's self-respect. So that's what I'm talking about with a little bit of a backstory there. Um, so some clean carbohydrates are going to be more fruits, more starchy vegetables like sweet potatoes, even gluten-free grains like rice or pseudo-grains like uh, quinoa, or um, even like fruit smoothies and things like that, uh, increasing your clean carbohydrates periodically. So many women do better with increasing the clean carbohydrates around ovulation or at the beginning of their period, beginning of the cycle, like days one and two, to support progesterone, optimal progesterone balance, to support conversion of the thyroid hormones uh, from T4 to T3. 80% of that conversion happens in the liver and 20% of that conversion of T4 to T3 or the activation of the thyroid hormone happens in the gut microbiome. But your body could use 
some clean carbohydrates to support that conversion. But that doesn't mean you always have your carbohydrates super high necessarily. Many people find that they're in if they're in a moderate to a lower carb to even a ketogenic state, and we're doing clean ketogenic or clean lower carb uh, most of the month, but we're vacillating our clean carbohydrates up periodically, either throughout the week, like Emily A. suggested. Many women do it around their menstrual cycle if they're cycling. To answer your question, yes, you would decrease your fat intake uh, when you increase your carbohydrates. So let's give this for example. Like if your fat intake, and we're talking about macronutrients here, protein, fats, and carbs are macronutrients, and micronutrients are all the vitamins and minerals within the foods. So let's just say your fat intake every day is around 75%. Let's say that your carbohydrate intake was about 10%. So if you brought your fat intake down uh, to 65%, you bring your, your carb intake up to 20%. You bring it from 10 to 20%. So a good clean carb cycling day for many people looks around 65% fat, 15% protein, and 20% carbohydrates. You're moderating your carbs up. In grams, that equals about 75 grams of carbohydrates to 150 grams of carbohydrates. So most of the month, they're probably having 50 around 50 grams of carbohydrates. But then a few days a week or a few days a month around your menstrual cycle, you're increasing it from 50 grams of carbohydrates to 75 to 150 grams of carbohydrates. So there's a lot of flexibility there. Look, I don't want you to be super granular or it, this should not be obsessive or arduous or punitive. This is just because Emily A. asked, and if you're getting a little bit more specific about the clinical nutrition side of this, of how to use food in a deeper way to enhance how you feel, these are different tools within our toolbox that I talk about with my patients and I talk about it within the book as well. So once you get the hang of it, it's like anything. It's like starting yoga and you're you're new to yoga or any type of exercise plan. It's not very natural at first, but once you get the hang of it, it becomes quite intuitive. You'll just check in with your body and check in with your energy levels, check in with your digestion, check in with your sleep, check in with your brain function, check in with your sex drive. All of these things are are how we're using food and intermittent fasting as a mindfulness practice. And that's what I teach my patients. That's what I teach in the books as well. There's an art to wellness. That's why I called this show The Art of Being Well. It's learning how to use these amazing tools in an intuitive, artistic way. Because look, wellness is sacred art. You are the masterpiece. And that's what I'm talking about here. That's the message of the show, my clinical work, and my books. Thanks for the question, Emily A. That's it for today. Thanks again for hanging out with me. I would love to know what you think about the art of being well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday. And I hope you will too. Talk soon. <laughs>